And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. You know, I was thinking about uh, today and kind of kicking into uh, this message. We're going to talk a little bit about guilt today. And uh, I was thinking about really one of, one of my favorite all-time pranks um, that was pulled off by a, gang, a guy named Noel. And uh, Noel was a playwright back in the um, kind of mid, early to mid-1900s. And check this out, check this out. He, so what he did is he sent a note to 20 of the most famous men in London And the note said this, it says, I know what you did, and if I were you, I would leave immediately. (laughs) And check this out, all 20 of those guys ended up leaving London within a year. Isn't that crazy? That is the all-time best, or one of the best pranks that I think uh, can be pulled off. But you know, I I was thinking about that prank, and the reason why I mentioned it today is because obviously there was an, uh, an emotion, a feeling that, that those 20 guys were feeling, like there was a little bit of guilt that had to have been there in order for them to pull up stakes and to leave London, the place that they were living, uh, just because of a random note that came in the mail saying, I know what you did. And so today, um, today I want to talk a little bit about guilt and um, my guess is, is that there's a couple things that we're going to talk about related to guilt today that maybe you didn't know the scripture actually said. And so I think we're going to have a good time kind of looking at that today. Uh, if you would, grab your Bible and let's go to the Lord uh, just in a quick prayer. If you're new here, uh, we say this congregational prayer together. Uh, it's not just something that we just kind of uh, uh, go through the motions, but it's really a prayer of our heart inviting God into this time together, into his word, and just asking him to do a work in our lives. And so uh, say this out loud with me, Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, have you ever heard the uh, expression uh, of being a broken record? Like he or she is a broken record. Now, this is a phrase that I would guess if you're over 40 in the room that you probably understand and get. If you're under 40 in the room, maybe you've heard of it, but you don't quite know where uh, it comes from, or maybe you don't quite even know what it means. But the idea, the expression of a broken record uh, basically means that somebody is just annoying you to death because they keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. They are a broken record. What you might not know is that the expression originated back in the 40s when um, records were really the way that people listened to music. So if you're under 40, they didn't have a uh, streaming music. They didn't have, you know, iPhones where you can plug in your, your wireless uh, headphones and listen to. They had a record. And here's how those records worked in case you don't know, round little circle. And they would cut these like grooves inside of the record. And inside of the grooves had these little like notches, these little bumps. And so when you took a needle or what they called a stylus, and you placed it on 
the record, it would go inside of the groove, and as the record would turn, the um, vibrations of what is inside the bumps inside of the groove would work its way through the stylus, and it would produce music. Now, over time, what would happen is you'd get some scratches on that record. If you ever owned a record or a few before, you know that, that they, they scratch pretty easy. And what happens when they scratch? That stylus goes around and, and it bumps into one of those scratches and then it, it kind of repeats, right? And so then it plays whatever it had just played, like maybe the five or 10 seconds before, it plays that again. And then it bumps into the, the scratch and then it goes again and it, and it goes again. And that's probably the, the old timey way of kind of mixing a little bit with the record, right? Um, but it would just kind of repeat what was playing and what was happening until you took the stylus and what? You lifted it up and you moved it beyond the scratch. Like if you just let it keep going, it's just going to keep repeating on that scratch, but you got to pick it up, the stylus up, and you got to move it beyond the scratch. And when I think about the feeling of guilt, when I think about how um, so many times in our lives, we can, you know, we all, the Bible says we all fall short, we all make mistakes, which means we all feel guilt. We all experience it in our lives. And when I think about the guilt that we experience in our lives, I can't help but to kind of picture the record of our lives. And, and every one of us in this room, we could go around and we could tell a lot of stories about all the scratches in our life. Some of those scratches are kind of surface and, and we got through them okay, and some of the scratches are deep. Some of the scratches, the things that we've done and experienced in our life are, are, are deep in our lives. And and I think about that, and I think about how so many times in our life that guilt can be a broken record where it's constantly reminding us again and again of those past mistakes and deficiencies in our life. And just like a record where you can't get past a scratch until you lift that needle up and move it in another direction, I think the same is true in our lives. That if we don't, at some point in our lives, pick up the stylus of our life and move it beyond the scratch, then we spend the rest of our lives reminded of every little thing that happened in our life. You know, you may not realize this, but not all guilt is bad. Like you would think initially that we're talking about guilt, and so every bit of guilt that we feel in our life would be bad, but, but it's really not. It kind of makes me, you know, I, I think of the, the, the example of like a switchblade and a scalpel. Like a, uh, a switchblade is something, and a scalpel is, they're both sharp instruments, right? They both have a, a really sharp edge to them. They're both kind of small, but the purpose of each one of them is what distinguishes them from one another. You see, the switchblade is often used to what? It's, it's used to kind of inflict um, pain or injury. The scalpel that's placed in a surgeon's hands can delicately remove tissue in order to bring a greater healing in somebody's body. You see, both these devices can open up a womb but the purpose of that wound 
makes all the difference. And guilt is a lot like that. I want to show you this morning, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to look at verse 10 today, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And it says this, that for the kind of sorrow or guilt that God wants us to experience, that it leads us away from sin and results in salvation, that there's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, I want to leave that on the screen because there's something in that first kind of line that I don't know about you, but it jumps off the page at me, that there is, can we put that back on the screen? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience in our life. I didn't give that to you, did I? Perfect. Perfect. I meant to do that. I wanted to draw as much attention to this verse as I possibly could. So now everybody recognizes that there's two kinds of guilt. <laughs> it says this in that first part, that there is a kind of sorrow that God wants you and I to experience. That just, it goes against the grain, doesn't it? Like we would naturally assume that God doesn't want us to experience any kind of, of guilt or sorrow in our lives, but what we see in this verse is that there is a good kind of guilt and there is a bad kind of guilt. And that's kind of important for us to be able to distinguish between the two. That there is a good kind of guilt that actually draws us closer to God. And then there is a bad kind of guilt that pulls us away from God. And in my life, um, I know that I would totally surprise you by saying this, but I've made one or two mistakes in my 45 years. And, and so these mistakes that I've made in my life, like all of you have made mistakes, we wrestle with these, these feelings. And one of those feelings is guilt. And so there's a couple questions that, um, that I ask of myself when I am experiencing Guilt, And I want to share that with you today to help you kind of be able to distinguish between a godly guilt and a worldly guilt. So the first question is this, is and this one I gave to him. <laughs> Am I repentant for what happened or do I just regret what happened? It's a question that I ask myself and a question that each one of you, if you want to be able to discern between a godly guilt and a worldly guilt, that you've got to ask yourself this question is, am I being repentant for what happened, the mistake, the sin that I committed, or am I regretting what had happened? You see, there's a big difference between that because godly guilt produces this repentance where worldly guilt produces regret. And a lot of times we assume that, that those two words mean the same thing, but they're polar opposites. You see, regret says that, that I feel bad about what I did, and I wish that I would have never gotten caught. Repentance says that I'm sorry, God, for what I did. Please help me to never do it again. They're two totally different. Regret 
just wants us to feel bad for a while and never really change the direction or the course of our life where repentance, it produces this real true remorse in our life, which ends up leading to this, this time of mourning over the sin and turning away from the sin and moving in the other direction. Another question that I ask myself is, does this guilt make me want to press forward in my relationship with God, or does it make me want to withdraw? What I'm feeling over the sin that I committed, the mistakes that I've made in my past, is is that feeling making me want to kind of lean in and press into God, or is it making me want to pull away? You see, I've learned in my own journey that godly guilt, it mobilizes us to action, where worldly guilt immobilizes us. Godly guilt is a a fruitful and effective kind of feeling in our life. It's designed by God to kind of spur us to action, for us to change our life, to to run from whatever it is that, that, that we've been doing and to make our wrongs right. But worldly guilt makes us idle, it makes us stagnant, because there really is no real change in our life, which ultimately leads to no real growth in our life. And, and as a result, we end up kind of rolling around in the mud of our mistakes and obsess about what other people are thinking or even what could have been in our lives if we would have never done what we did. But I want you to see this this morning, that God doesn't want us living in that kind of guilt in our lives. And I want to prove it to you. See, back in, in school, I learned something. I learned kind of a Bible study tip that, that you could also apply in your own life. It's the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And the law of first mention simply says that if you want to know the original intent of something, then you've got to go all the way back in the Bible to where that idea was first introduced. And so for us to understand how God has designed our relationship with him to be in the arena of guilt, we have to go back to Genesis chapter three and take a look at two people that we've all heard of, Adam and Eve. Now consider the relationship for a moment between God and Adam and Eve before sin ever even entered the picture. I mean, they spent, they spent time together with, with no distractions or disturbances. They, they had no regrets, like nothing in their life was, was hidden. And then it happened. And then it happened. Sin entered the camp and by eating of the tree of good and evil. Do you remember what happened? What happened was, is Adam and Eve experienced some guilt for the first time, and they did what? They started pointing fingers at other people, and everything about their lives became hidden. And so all of a sudden, God comes strolling through the garden, and I want you to see what happens in Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 8 says that then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I want you to notice here that their first response 
to the sin that they had committed and the guilt that was beginning to come into their life was to pull back, was to hide. In verse 9, you see, but the Lord uh, God called to the man, where are you? Now, this is a verse that we can easily kind of pass by, but I want you in this moment to just hear the emotion in God's voice. Like hear, like think about the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve before sin entered the picture. Think about the fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve. And then all of a sudden sin enters the picture, guilt begins to take place, and they pull away and they begin to hide. And God, in his compassion, his response to that is, where are you? Like, can you, I mean, I can, I can hear in this verse the compassion of God. I can hear him in his thinking, like, my best friends, like, where are my best friends? Like, where did they go? And Adam responds in verse 10. He says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And I want you to notice here that they, that they are feeling some worldly guilt because they're pulling away from God. And God's response, and I think this is kind of funny, is in verse 11. He says, wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? Now, that to me, that's funny because if you think about the fact that they had no idea what naked even was, and God's like stepping in and he's like, wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And watch how Adam responds. <laughs> he says, he says, the woman you put here with me, <laughs> that she gave me some fruit from the tree and I just, I just kind of, I just kind of, I kind of had to eat it. And in verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, oh, well, it's the serpent's fault, not mine. And so I ate it. And, and we see here in this passage, we see this kind of worldly guilt that what Corinthians says takes us where? It takes us to a spiritual death. And I find it amazing how similar how similar we respond to sin and guilt in our lives that Adam and Eve responded in their lives. Like, think about it. Like, I know we're, I know we're at church, but we got a lot of imperfect people in this place. And I'm leading the parade of the imperfect people in this place. But look at, like, how similar it is. Like, we commit a sin, right? And then we feel guilty. And then what do we do? We hide from God. We hide from his church. We hide from the people that care for us and love us the most. And then we start blaming other people for what had happened and how bad our life is. <laughs> I mean, it is so similar. I mean, think about, listen, think about what Adam and Eve had before this moment. Like, think about 
what they were enjoying before this moment. Like they were the best looking couple in the entire world before this happened. Like Eve had never, ever burned dinner. Like they were never late to work. They never at one time stressed over whether their clothes would fit, right? And they lived in a world with no in-laws. I mean, I love mine, but. And then they sinned. And this worldly guilt began to kind of take over in their lives. And they hid from God and they began to point fingers. And so what is... What is this story about Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and then the broken relationship and the guilt? What does this story help us understand about the relationship that God desires for you and I? Well, we see that when Adam and Eve, when they messed up and when they allowed their sin to produce this worldly guilt that pulled them away from God, that they set this kind of this trajectory, this course in our own lives where we sin and we feel guilt and we pull away from God. And God decided that he was going to do everything that he possibly could in his power to fix that situation. Everything in his power. And I love... There's an author by the name of Elizabeth Gilbert, and she asked this question in one of her writings. She says, what are you willing to give up in order to have what you really want? What are you willing to give up in order to have what you really want? And in this case, what God really wanted was a relationship with you and me. Like what he desperately wanted was to restore the relationship that was once there before sin and guilt entered the picture. And so what does he do and what is he willing to give up? He's willing to give up his absolute, the best that he possibly has in order to restore that relationship. That God ends up giving up his son, Jesus. And I think this this reality, this truth about how sin enters the picture and guilt pulls us away from God and, and God looks at that and says, that's not the kind of relationship that I, I want with my sons and daughters and so I'm going to send my son to die on a cross so that I can redeem or restore that once broken relationship so that I can have fellowship with them again. I think that that is not just something that we experience in our life, but we see that even people in the Bible experience that same kind of dynamic, that feeling, that wrestle of what does my sin do and how does that guilt pull me away from God? And one of the people that, that I think sums it up perfectly is the Apostle Paul. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says that it is for freedom that Christ has what? set us free. He has set us free for a reason. It is for freedom. That there is a purpose, a, a reason behind why Jesus came and died on a cross. 
Like he didn't come and die on a cross so that you and I can experience all this worldly guilt in our life and never really have true fellowship or relationship with God that we could live through our life and always kind of be haunted by all the things in the rearview mirror of our life and never really experience our full potential in God. No, he came, he sent his son to die on a cross so that you and I would be free of all the scratches in our life. Free from all of that. And it says this, it says, stand firm then. Because now that you have been given this freedom, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I find this last part kind of interesting because this idea of being burdened again, isn't that what worldly guilt does to us? Like it is just this constant like broken record in our lives that brings up the mistakes and the deficiencies in our life, that, that it's a burden all over again. It's like, it's like once we feel like we're starting to get some traction in life and beginning to, to make positive strides in our life, then all of a sudden it starts repeating again. And it's this burn again. And, and I find it interesting, and we underlined it up here, the word let. Like I think that, I think Paul understands that you and I have a choice. He understands that you and I in our lives, in our journey with God, look, listen, it's not about trying to be perfect and to not make mistakes because the Bible already says that we all fall short, right? It's not about not sinning. It's about not allowing the worldly guilt to consume our mind and to keep us from God's best in our life. Like, are we going to yield to the godly guilt that leads us what? To repentance and closer to him? Or are we going to yield to the worldly guilt that is more of a regret like, ah, I wish they didn't find that out. Or, oh man, I wish that wouldn't have happened in my life. But then I'm going to continue doing and dealing with the same things over and over again in our life. And the Apostle Paul's like, it's all about the let. Like, it's all about what are you going to allow the enemy to do in your life? Amen. And this is a guy, and I'm going to close with this, but this is a guy that knows he's been there and he's done that. Like, it's one thing when somebody gives you advice, but they've never been there, right? <laughs> right? I think we've all received that kind of advice. Um, it's a whole other thing when somebody's been there and done that. And they give you advice about their experiences and what they did right and the things that they wish that they could have done different. And I think we see that from the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 7. Look at this in verse 21. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. This is, this is the guy that has written... The majority of the New Testament, this is a guy that is really a pillar in the Christian faith. And look what he says in verse 21. He says, I have, I've discovered this principle of life. And maybe you've discovered this. I know, I know I've discovered it. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. When I want to do what's right, I still end up doing what's wrong. 
And he says in verse 22 that I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power that's within me that it, it is at war with my mind. And that's what worldly guilt is. It is just a, it is a declaration of war over our minds. And the apostle Paul says that this power, that it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he says in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. I mean, can you, can you hear the worldly guilt that Paul, I mean, the apostle Paul is dealing with in his own life. He says, who's going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and by death? I mean, this is a guy that, this is a guy that has wanting within everything inside of him to do what's right and to live for God. And I think there's a lot of you here today that are the same way. That deep down you want, you want to live for God. Deep down you want to experience the best that He has to offer. That deep down you recognize all that He's done in your life and you just, you want that life, but much like Paul. There's this, this principle, this thing that's at war even within your life as it is in mine that's just constantly trying to pull you away from that. But I love what he says here in verse 25. Paul says, thank God. He finds the answer. He says, thank God that the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friend, I find it fascinating. Fascinating that in the very next breath, Paul utters these words that you and I, if you've been around church, maybe even if you haven't been around church, you've probably kind of heard this before. In Romans chapter 8, the very next breath, next chapter, he says, therefore. Like it is a, it is a declarative statement that Paul has decided to make that that yes, I face guilt in my life, and yes, I struggle with sin more than I want to struggle with, but I love God, and I want all that He has for me, and therefore, here's what it says, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation word's not one that we use a whole lot nowadays, but I I kind of envision, have you ever been by a house that has been condemned? A house that is just kind of over, it's got, it's got plywood all boarded up and it's just run down and, and people just, they look at it and it's, just, it's got a sign out in the front that says condemned and people just drive by, don't even give it any thought. If they do give it a thought, their wish is, is that that would go away so it'd quit being an eyesore, Right? And what the Bible tells us is there is none of that in our lives. Like, like when we are in Christ Jesus, our lives don't get condemned. Like, like, like God doesn't pass by us and saying, oh, I wish I didn't create that. Oh, I'm just going to move on, man. If I could clean that out, the rest of the neighborhood would look amazing. Like that's not how God operates. That when we are in Christ Jesus, that there is no 
condemnation. He says, because through Christ Jesus that the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I want to go by back to verse 1 because I want to show you how I want to show you how we get rid of worldly guilt and experience godly guilt in our life and it's found in two two little letters in in Christ Jesus You know, when I see that word, what it speaks to me is it's a placement word. Like it is a a decision that I am going to position myself, right, within Christ Jesus. And as I am in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation in my life. What that means is that when we step outside of Christ Jesus, we then receive what? Condemnation. And so how do you know if what you're experiencing in your life is is a worldly guilt or a godly guilt? I think as we feel condemned, we recognize that we are not in Christ Jesus because when we step into Christ Jesus, the godly guilt, that there is no condemnation and that the shortcomings that we experience in our life are ones that draw us closer to God, not further away. And maybe that's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins to Him, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but not just not just to forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all wickedness, to remove the scratches. He goes on to say, the psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 103, 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friend, in Christ Jesus, they are separated, they are gone out of Christ Jesus, there, we are reminded over and over again of all that we have done. And then we're reminded of God's words in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Friend, I don't know what you walked in with today. I don't know. I don't know what today you walked in with feeling the guilt of. But I do know this. That you look at a man who has plenty of reasons. (laughs) Plenty of reasons to walk around in the shadow of guilt but a man who's decided to position himself in Christ so that now there is no condemnation 
That as God allows that guilt to then produce conviction in my life, that it draws me closer to him, not further away. And friend, today you've got a choice. You've got a choice of whether or not to allow the worldly guilt that causes you to point fingers and to pull away from God to burden you over and over again or to choose that today I'm going to receive the forgiveness of God for my sins, that I'm going to step into Christ and I'm going to allow him to separate my sins as far as the east is from the west and to remember them no more. Would you bow your head with me today and close your eyes? Today I want to speak first to those that might have come today or maybe you're watching online and you know ultimately guilt in our life the godly guilt is one that wants to draw us close to God and maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision maybe you're here today and you recognize that your life is just you're so far away from God or maybe today you're here and you've, you've asked God into your heart, but you've allowed yourself to drift outside of Christ. Your life has begun to head in, a, in the wrong direction. And today you're kind of recognizing that it's time to, to recommit your life to Him, to come back into that right relationship with Him. Today, if that's you, friend, I want to lead you in the most important prayer of your life. Because nothing else that we talk about today can get resolved in your life until this one thing is resolved. And that is where you position yourself. Are you going to position yourself in Christ or are you going to position yourself outside of Christ? So today I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But right there where you're sitting or at home where you're watching, if you would just slip up your hand for just a second, if that's you, you'd say, Ryan, I want to be included in that prayer. That's where I am in my life. I want to get things right with God. I've kind of moved myself outside of being in Christ and I've kind of lived life my own way today. I want to come back to God. I want to position myself back into the place that he longs that I be. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you raised your hand today, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Church, would you say it with me as well? Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for living life my way. Today I choose to surrender you. Today I choose to come into Christ. So change me. Make me into the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, would you give it up for those that have prayed today? How amazing. I don't know about you, but I remember that day in my life, and it was just a future-altering moment in my life. 
We're so excited. If you prayed that prayer today, listen, at the end of the service today, our, our um, amazing prayer team is going to be up front here and they would love the opportunity to connect with you and, and pray with you. But before we do that, I want to pray for those of you that are here today that, man, like Paul, you love God. You love him with all your heart, but you struggle. There's some things that are going on in your life, some things in your past that they just keep, they just keep like a broken record. They just keep coming back again and again. They keep coming back and it just feels like they keep tripping you up and you never kind of get to the place where you feel like God has you to go. Today, I want to pray for you. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you today, I just want you to slip your hand up again. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I want you to slip up your hand and say, Ryan, I, I love God, but today I need, I need freedom from this guilt from my past. I need freedom from the things that keep kind of pulling me away from all that God wants of me. Yeah. Yeah. Father, you see the hands of those that have gone up today all over the room. And God, I believe that as you look down today, that Lord, with tears in your eyes, Lord, you see their heart. Lord, how desperate they are to be free from the past, free from the sin that so easily trips them up. That like Paul said in scripture, that he, he lets go of those things and he presses on. And Lord, I pray that today, God, that there would just be this this holy moment within each and every person, Lord, that they would sense right now, Lord, the freeing of this guilt, Lord, the weight that they've been carrying when they came into this place, that your Holy Spirit would begin to pull it off their shoulders and that in the spiritual realm, they would begin to feel a release, life coming back in. And Father, I pray that never again Never again will they allow the enemy to take the scratches in their life and to remind them of that over and over again. But today, Lord, that they will stand in Christ and receive the freedom that you sent your son to die for. In Jesus' name. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.